Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Just now, as I said, my affirmation to that of some of, some of you might say, Amen. The word around here is, you know, I say, Amen. Well, I called one of our members the other day, and obviously I appeared on their identification because when he answered the phone, he didn't say hello. He said, Amen. <laughs> he knew who was calling him. James, I give you an Amen, brother, an Amen. I invite you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Today, keying in on verses 1 through 10, we are studying Ephesians uh, with a lot of churches across the nation. And I think it's wonderful when there can be a unity uh, in focusing in on one passage and set up scriptures together and praying and studying God's Word. But we do, we're in chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, and I will read the verses as we go through the message. And you have the outline there. And I remind you, uh, because it really makes a difference in the presentation, that the first three chapters of Ephesians are very theological, uh, very, very teaching-oriented, uh, and it makes a little difference in the way the, the message is presented. The last three chapters are very practical on our personal life, the way church ought to be done, uh, and so that will be a different kind of presentation. I really struggle for uh, the flow, the way to present this today, but I'm, I've come here with a comfort level, and I know that you pray for me. The title, The Gift of Life, and what an incredible title for today uh, on the sanctity of life, uh, and that is we are speaking here of the life in Christ and eternal life, but we thank Him for every breath and every day. Let's pray together. Almighty God, I'm excited about this word. I know that I cannot present it without the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And I humbly, and these with me, pray that you will lead and guide and it'll be your voice that we hear and that your voice that we gladly come to. Whether it is to rededicate our life, to accept you for the first time, to unite with a fellowship where we can serve you, or to go out from here and do some ministry that you have called us to do, may we hear and gladly obey. Forgive us of our sins in the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. The gift of life, point number one today, as you see in your outline, and hopefully it will become clear as we go through it, and that is, the first phrase says, please, don't work yourself to death. Now, the underlying outlines have come from the little study book that we have, and I have just simply put it into uh, kind of words, hopefully, that we can grasp a little easier, and that is, apart from Christ, we were spiritually dead, and this focuses on the first three verses of chapter 2, and that is... We, I need to remind us, the Apostle Paul, of course, is writing to a church at Ephesus, and based upon the personal pronoun that he uses, we know whether he is speaking to the small Jewish element of that church or the larger Gentile element. And when he says, you, 
He is speaking to the Gentile world and Gentiles are all of those outside of the Jewish origin. When he speaks, when he says the word we, he is referring to his people, his tribe, the Jewish people. And so the apostle here is writing, he's saying these words to the Gentile world, those who had possibly absolutely no concept of Yahweh, Jehovah, you know, Elohim, God as had revealed himself to the Jewish people. And so he is introducing them to all of the concepts that they would have known for centuries. And so he says, and you, he made alive. Speaking to that group outside totally of the Jewish faith. And you, he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. We'll break this down in these few minutes here. And as I shared either last week or the week before, one of the tremendous challenges that I sense in my heart is communicating the good news of Jesus Christ to a world that may not be acquainted with it. That's what the Apostle Paul is doing here. He is trying to share, he is trying to share God, what God has done and is doing with a people who were totally unfamiliar with it. And so when I come and stand here and know that this is going out over the, over the radio and we're blessed with a very faithful listening audience, that whatever words we use, that we make it very clear. And so in these first three verses, a very simple progression of thought here is number one, sin is the problem. With what is going on in the world, what goes on in our life that is complicating, is frustrating, is guilt producing, shame producing, problem producing, sin is the problem. And, and I say this often after all of these years and, you know, I, I forget what I may have known 20 years ago. But I love the freshness of revelations, of revelations of God making things clear. Yesterday, I praise God, 54 years ago I was ordained to the gospel ministry. Can you believe that? 54 years ago. I had a little church outside Macon, Georgia that only met every other Sunday, second and fourth Sunday, never on Sunday night, never on the fifth Sunday. No indoor plumbing. And when the service was over, two deacons, and that was all we had. Oh, excuse me. I, they know I'm kidding. They would go over in the corner and we had two offering plates. That was all we had. They count out $35 and give it to me. And I went back to Mercer University. And every once in a while, just being facetious, I say, man, I've been trying to get back to that church ever since. And always a helpful person will say, well, Brother Bill, we can help you get back to that church, you know. <laughs> but what I'm getting at here is, to me, sin, I don't know, it was just that 
light coming on that made it even more easy for me to understand and to explain it. And in that first verse, the apostle says, you were dead in trespasses and sins. And this is just a double emphasis here. And so the best way to describe sin is sin is losing our way. It is trespassing. It is going where we don't belong. Amen? You drive out through the country or someplace and you'll see a sign that says no trespassing. That means you don't belong here. You don't belong on this land. And then I'm reminded of the model prayer, the Lord's Prayer in the King James Version, forgive us our what? trespasses, that is our sins, where we have gone where we were not supposed to go and let us forgive those who trespass against us and that is abuse us and take advantage of us. And so the problem that we are dealing with here and in the very beginning God put up a no trespassing sign in the Garden of Eden right in front of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and Adam and Eve just walked right by it. And things have not been the same since then. And so sin is the problem. Trespasses is losing our way and as a result of it, you've heard the definition of sin and that is, is that it is missing the mark and we are not living up to the full potential by which God created us. William Barclay in his commentary, he had this powerful paragraph and he's talking about, are we living up to what God put us in this world to do? Are we the husband that God meant us to be? Are we the wife that God meant us to be? Are we the parents that God meant us to be? Are we the children that God meant us to be? And sin is what will cause us to be less than what God meant us to be. And why is this so? This is so powerful. And that is, there's three reasons given here in verse 2. And it says to them, and remember, praise God, he's speaking in the past tense. He's speaking to people about their life before Jesus Christ. You were dead. You were dead because you went where you didn't belong. You were missing the glory that God created you for. That Westminster Catechism, the simple catechism says, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And anything short of that is sin. But he says there's three things here that creates this. That is, you, you, talking to them, you walked according once to the course of this world. We live in a world that has been infected by sin. It has been affected according to the prince of the power of the air. And the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. In the sons of disobedience. And so what he is saying here is we live in a sinful world. There is a devil. There is a devil, and he is working through people, institutions, and the culture. He has infiltrated all of this, and in, this is what he is talking about then, that this is what has become deadly. In the Sunday school class that I'm privileged to teach, 
I was sharing with them, I have to be reeled in every once in a while. I know y'all hadn't noticed that. But when I watch the news, I have to be reeled in. I mean, I have to really be reeled in. I just get absolutely, I'm just being real repentant here. I get disgusted. I'm like, who are these people? Why are they thinking this way? What is wrong? What is wrong with our culture? And you know, in studying this morning's lesson and getting ready for this sermon here, God reminded me, God reminded me that Satan has permeated all of our culture and he has deceived us and he has led us astray. And just as Jesus had compassion on those of his day, the Holy Spirit spoke to me, I need to be praying for these people. Amen. I need to have a compassionate heart for them. And what is the base problem? The base problem is what it was all the way back in heaven when Satan, Lucifer, lost his place, and that is pride and arrogance. And verse 3 here says that we live in a world that conducts itself according to the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh, of the mind, and by nature are children of wrath, just as the others. And if you watch enough, and if you listen to enough, our world is obsessed with arrogance and pride. Our world is possessed with arrogance and pride, amen? Everybody thinks they're right, we're wrong, they're trying to impose their will upon us and their will is not of God. And so this passage tells us sin's a problem, but sin is deadly. Sin is deadly. In that opening verse, the apostle says, and you he made alive who were dead. And I struggle to communicate that. How is sin deadly? I go back to William Barclay, and of course the scripture says, the soul that sinneth shall die. Barclay identifies a couple of things that sin creates the death, and it spoke to me so much. He said, when we trespass, and all of us have trespassed, sin is universal. All of us have trespassed, and there is the death of innocence. There's the death of innocence. We went where we weren't supposed to go. And as a result of it, we carry a sense of shame and guilt. And why did I go there? Why did I go there? And we regret it. He says that sin is the death of ideals. We look at the world and we say that we have certain ideals or standards and we will say, I'll never do that. I'll never go there. And before we know it, we've gone there. And then as results that we said we would never do that, and then our next phase is, I sure wish I hadn't have done that. And then if there's not an intervention, it becomes the way of life. It becomes the way of life. And as a result of that, we find ourselves alienated, estranged, and separated from God who is, we are created in His image, and He is our life. And all of us 
have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And here's where the title for point number one comes. Please don't work yourself to death. And that is, we cannot save ourselves. We cannot get ourselves out of this mess. We know we're in a mess. We know that we are in a mess. We know that we have regrets. We know that we carry guilt with us. We are shocked at some of the things that happen in our life. And so we think, I got to get myself out of this. Years ago, the Southern Baptist Convention, and I know it's been there many other times since then in New Orleans, Charlotte and I would go to the Southern Baptist Convention and one of the high points for us was they, the area had strategized and planned and coordinated door-to-door witnessing. And we always wanted to take place in that. Always wanted to go door-to-door and share Jesus Christ with people. And so we were given an assignment and an old school bus took us to a, to a section right down in old New Orleans and we began to knock on doors and we were using the evangelism explosion and where first you begin to ask them, you know, uh, what church do you go to? If you don't go, what do you prefer? And then you come down right to it and you ask them the question and it's a really in your face. If you were to die today, would you go to heaven or hell? I'm here to tell you, Contrary to God's word, ain't nobody going to hell, friends. Did you know that? But everybody that we would talk to is trying to get themselves out of something and to save themselves. Some people would answer, well, I'm going to heaven because I live by the golden rule. I'm telling you, friend, don't work yourself to death, amen? We can work and work and work, which was what Judaism was doing, and there is no life in it. I'll always remember responding to a home early one Sunday morning, and the father of this family, an elderly gentleman, had passed away. His daughter said to me, Brother Bill, I never knew Daddy to go to church. I never knew him to pray. I never knew him to make a profession of faith, but he sure was a good person. And then she would say, but you know, there's no demand in heaven for good people. I'm telling you, friend, we can't be good enough to go to heaven. It's his goodness, not our goodness. So some people would say, yeah, I'm going to heaven because I live by the golden rule. And then some would assume that they were going because they were a good person. And some assumed that they were going because they just didn't believe there was one. Didn't believe there was one. And so, apart from Christ, we were spiritually dead. And we have a problem and we know it. And many are trying to work out of it and work beyond it and solve it by ourselves. But we can't save ourselves. And if we're not careful, we will work ourselves to death. The second point then, This gets better. Aren't you going to open your present? Aren't you going to open your present? With Christ, we are spiritually alive. We cannot earn forgiveness. We must not assume that we're not sinners. We simply receive the gift of God. That's what it's all about. We simply receive the gift of God, which is life 
and life eternal. Let's go back to New Orleans. Not really. So we went all afternoon knocking on doors and it was not very encouraging until the last door we knocked on. And I tell this story every once in a while. A storm was blowing up. We could see the old yellow school bus at the end of the street waiting to pick us up. A young lady was getting out of her car carrying groceries. The wind was whipping. It was beginning to rain. We helped her carry the groceries up to her front porch. And then asked if she could take a moment and we began to ask her, if you were to die today, would you go to heaven or hell? And she said, I'd go to heaven. And I said, why? And she says, because my sins are covered by the blood of Jesus. Whew. Because my sins are covered by the blood of Jesus. And we simply receive that. Follow with me beginning with verse 4. And I will make simple commentary as we go through. The apostle in those first three verses has painted a very, very, very dim picture. But thank God he's painting it in the past tense. And that this was what things were like before they met Christ. But wow, what incredible words in verse 4. But God. But God. And listen to the God that he knows. Who is rich in mercy. And because of his great love, which he loved, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses because we had gone where we weren't supposed to go, where he never intended us to go, where he knew was harmful and deadly to us, he never, never, never turned his back on us. God loves us even in our trespasses. Follow this. And now he has made us alive together with Christ. He has made us alive with Christ. You want to know what being born again is? You hear about being born again? Being born again means that we have come from the death that sin imposes upon us and we are now alive again in Jesus Christ. We get a new start. This little thing here, innocent, innocent, innocent. Except maybe at midnight tonight, I don't know. Uh-huh, mama said, <laughs> innocent. We come into this world innocent, and then we, we, we go, we trespass. But God comes back and he says, new start, do over. You're going to be born again. And in Jesus Christ, we are born again. And then, this is so awesome, by grace you have been saved. Grace is the theme of this. And raised us up together. We are sharing in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. When we get saved, we are raised from the dead. We have been made alive. We have been born again in Jesus Christ. And this is so awesome to think about. And then it says that we have been made to sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. In the present, in the present, God loved us even when we were sinners. We have been born again, made alive in Christ. 
We have been raised to that life over that death of sin as Jesus Christ was raised. Now he says that we are to sit with him and we are not talking about at the end of time in heaven, that is a future thing. But let me tell you, when we give our life to Jesus Christ, we are lifted up above this sinful world in our mindset, in our vision, in our understanding, and we can see and understand what's going on because we are sitting in a heavenly place so that people might see Christ in us and see how good God has been to us. And our prayer is that somebody would see what Jesus has done for us and in their heart would say, I want him to do that for me. Amen. I want him to do that for me. I'm hastening on because there's a closing I must share. And it's not in your notes. And so this passage here, please don't work yourself to death. It ain't going to get you there, friends. It'll only bleed to death. Aren't you going to open your present and receive Jesus Christ? Number three, then, it says that this is the gift that keeps on giving. In Christ, we are God's workmanship, verses 8 through 10. This is a signature passage in all of the Bible, not to make one part more important than another. It's all inspired and inerrant. For by grace, that's the word for gift, chorus, you have been saved, you have been delivered through faith, believing in Jesus, who he is, what he did. And it is not of ourselves because we'll work ourselves to death trying to get saved. It's the gift of God and it's not of works lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Why, why do we get saved what is life like from their own? What it is like from their own is to be salt of the earth, the light of the world, that God might see, that people might see our good works and give glory to our Father in heaven. We are supposed to be life-giving people. We are supposed to be His workmanship. We are supposed to be people that people see Jesus in us and the goodness and why do you live that way and why do you do those things because God has been so good to me the last I hasten I got maybe one minute but it won't take long this was something God spoke to my heart after everything went to print so if you're writing notes there's a number four that, and they don't even have it well they do have it in the booth the unopened gift is it yours I think about the feeling I have when I after Christmas I go in a home and everything that built up to Christmas all the expectation all the warmth all the joy all the gift giving all the hopes and desires of seeing family celebrating the season of the birth of Jesus, the giving of presents, the receiving of presents. 
But somebody didn't show up. Now, I look at my Christmas tree and there's some gifts under it, but I expect to give them tomorrow night when Sarah gets here. But I go in homes and there's a tree and it's not lit, it's not taken down yet. There's one present under the tree. That excitement, that energy, that warm feeling of Christmas has passed, it shouldn't have. And it makes me sad when I think somebody wasn't here. Somebody wasn't here. This is their gift. They were not here to open it. They missed the food. They missed the fun. They missed the fellowship. They missed the celebration of faith. But for somebody listening to this message, there is one more gift under the tree the tree of the cross of Calvary. And it hadn't been opened. Is it yours? Is it yours? Will you receive Christ today by simple faith? I'll help you here. I can't explain it all right here. But there's still somebody has not opened the gift of life. Is it yours? We stand and sing, will you come?